What's up, gang? Thanks for listening to the Undiplomatic Podcast, the show with undiplomatic takes about the foreign policy scene. I'm your host, Ben Jackson. And uh, this is going to be a special, special interview episode. Um, my guest today is someone I've been planning to get on the pod for a long time. He's an associate professor of political science at the University of Portland. He shares my taste in hip hop, which is how I know he's a good person. <laughs> he's the author of a book um, with Georgetown University Press that we're not here to talk about today, but it was how I first came into contact with his his work years ago because it was a great fucking book. Uh, it's called Power and Restraint, The Rise of the United States, 1898 to 1941. He actually flagged that like, I mean, we're not here to talk about the book, but you know, how did America become like a pointillist empire as opposed to like a large, you know, pan-continental, transcontinental empire? Like, why was there a restraint within American great power expansion, uh, which is an interesting puzzle to tease out. But more than all of that, this guy is one of the smartest strategists I know, and I'm a fantastic strategist, and that might be narcissistic to say, but... I mentioned my own prowess because this guy is at least as good at strategy as I am. And in fact, like I've learned a lot from reading about his writings about strategy and from our recurring conversations on the subject. So the dude that I'm talking about sitting with me virtually is none other than Dr. Jeffrey Miser. What's up, man? How you doing? Hey, I'm great. How are you? Um, I'm good, although I was late to the uh, podcast today <laughs> because of the time difference. So my bad. Um, all right. So we're here to kind of like just wax open ended about the theory and practice of strategy. But before we get too deep into it, I wanted to ask you a little bit about uh, hip hop briefly, just because we haven't gotten to talk about it much. Um, you know a lot about hip hop. I've seen you flex some of your knowledge on Twitter and you teach a class on hip hop and politics. So, you know, just quickly, where does the love and knowledge for this art form come from? And more importantly, like what is this hip hop politics class that you've got? I'm very curious about it. Yeah. Hey, it's great to be here and, and I appreciate you having me. And um, like two of my favorite topics here to talk about is hip hop and strategy. <laughs> How could I have a better way to spend the afternoon? Um, so, yeah, so the class really, um, I mean, it's the class about race and politics in the United States, and it's through the lens of hip-hop. And so, like, it is funny is that you get, like, people coming into it, and they think, I don't know what we're going to talk about, but they think we're going to talk about, like, I don't know, the, the beef between, like, Drake and Pusha T or something. I don't know what they think is going to happen here, but it's it's about, it's about, about race and politics it's about racism in the united states and the history of it and you know, the politics of it and all that stuff so that's that's what we do and we get we get you know we gain insights from hip-hop music and culture and then we also do like you know readings about about urban poverty and all this other stuff right that gives the context to understand hip-hop so that's in a nutshell like what we do um and like you know where did i how did I get into this? Um, because it's like, you know, my wife kind of makes fun of me for being a hip hop fan just because I'm like a, 
as she would say, an old old white guy, you know. It's yeah. like, <laughs> it's like you know, you look white. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, um, so I mean, basically, is the my first experience with hip hop was my cousin introducing me to License to Ill by the Beastie Boys in like '87 mm. or something, right? So, I remember this song? It's on Paul Revere. Um, it's kind of like a story rap kind of song, and um, I don't know. There's something about it that was pretty magical. Um, looking back, it's it's totally like a trivial kind of song, right? But at the time, it was just it just it just felt like way cooler than anything I'd ever heard. And at the time, like I was mainly listening to what my sister liked, which was sort of like Whitney Houston and and no no Houston, right? but it's like just like the usual pop stuff. And all of a sudden, it's like the beast. So it was like way different, way yeah. cooler. And so um, since then, I've been like I've been into hip hop ever since I was like 10, 10 years old at the time or something. And um, but sort of like my interest has waxed and waned a little bit depending upon like what's going on with hip hop and what's going on, like other music scenes and stuff. And I'd say probably my, my engagement with hip hop was at its height uh, in the nineties, sort of like mm-hmm. mid, mid nineties, probably mid to late nineties, which that's the golden really era though. Right. Like that's when it yeah. hip hop itself was at the peak and we didn't even know it. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. So I was like, it was kind of, it was cool because I was a teenager at that time, and so that was sort of like my my high point of caring about music, and it just happened to be the time when hip hop was really just exploding, you know. Yeah, and yeah. so it worked out for me. Yeah, my my first album ever happened to be Nas's Illmatic, but I which was one of the best albums of all time ever, fucking ever, and I just coincidentally like, like I stumbled on it. I walked into like a Virgin Records or something. And I was going through their little crates and I just saw the little picture of like the kid on the front of the cover. And I saw on the back, there was a song called life's a bitch. And I was like, what's that about? And and so I bought it on a whim. Like I had no context. And then I just listened to it over and over and it was fucking blowing my mind. Like hearing what life was like in Queensbridge or whatever. And that was like my fucking the pill that, got me like red pilled or whatever uh and it just went from there yeah yeah uh, so did you just quickly do you have any like favorite rappers or favorite songs uh yeah i would say i mean so as a as a, a teacher of a hip-hop class and sort of a budding hip-hop scholar like i try and I really tr- appreciate like all forms of hip-hop you know it's like sometimes you'll meet somebody and they're like oh yeah i'm totally into hip-hop but really just um public enemy and like whatever like some super socially conscious stuff or whatever mm-hmm. and i like all that but i also like i like drill music i like trap i like like i like it all you know um, i appreciate it all and even um mumble rap even mumble rap like i mean <laughs> there's like every like i like like if, if future is your like mu- like a mumble rapper like yeah i like dirty sprite too like i think that's like a fantastic album um Going beyond that, like I don't know that I would be like. There's some genres that definitely are some genres I like better than others, but hmm. yeah, yeah, I, I like it all. I really like it all. Um, I would say, like Tupac's got to be my favorite rapper. Um, and then within his like catalog, I like um, Heaven for a G. 
and the fact that I think it just like expresses so much about Tupac and that he's he has the persona of like the big loudmouth gangster rapper, whatever thug life. But I think at heart he was really just sort of like a an introspective guy, you know, and, and it's a very introspective, like thoughtful song, you know. So it, to me that is sort of like kind of like the the high point of Tupac's you know catalog, probably. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. But it's hard to sing on songs. There's like a bazillion out there. That are I good. know. It's like, it's kind of an unfair question. Uh, I was just curious. Um, but yeah. yeah, you're in this, you're in a, a, a genre or a period uh, that, that vibes with me. So that was, which I sort of had a sense was the case. Um, yeah. Okay. So like, I'm not sure what percentage of my audience actually even vibes on hip hop. So <laughs> we might need to change subjects. Um Hopefully they can at least tolerate it, but hopefully they appreciate it. Um, <laughs> so in uh, to, to go to the strategy stuff, which is like really driving this in your work, you define strategy as a theory of success, which has become the way I describe it too, because for me, this mm -hmm. is the definition that unlocks every important insight about strategy. And uh, I want to unpack the notion of strategy as a theory of success, but before we do that, like the positive definition, it might mm. be worth clearing the air about some like negative definitions of strategy. So yeah, to start off, this, so <laughs> this is a diss record, okay? What definitions <laughs> of strategy do you beef with? Like what's not a good definition, uh, some examples? Yeah. Um, so I don't know, there's two, I would say there's like, there's two styles of definition I don't like. Mm. And um, it's like a, like a process definition I don't like and sort of like an aggregate or sort of composite definition. I think both of those lead in really bad directions, to be honest. Um, so like, there's like the idea of emergent strategy, which I mean, I understand the value of that thinking that the idea that you sort of like learn by doing trial and error, um, you have to be responsive to changing circumstances. Like I get all that and that makes sense. But the idea that, that you don't start with something like that's just kind of to me, that's just not how it works and is not a good path forward because you have to start with something. If you're going to adapt it, yeah, adapt it. But you have to start like like we would say with the theory of success and then like you test it there's problems you you revise it you test it again and you keep moving forward right but the idea that you that you don't start with that is just is is really a bad idea i think um and the second strategy is like yeah. pragmatics i mean it's you you it's like a it's a way of post hoc rationalizing whatever got whatever happened like how do you, it makes it impossible right. to judge whether a strategy is good or bad, except by the outcome, which is something we'll talk about later. Yeah. But even like that, it's like, oh, so, you know, your strategy sucks. Oh, no, no, it's, it's emergent. You know, I'm just, <laughs> it's still process, right? Don't ask what it is. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Like, yeah. I can't tell you what it is, but it's, it's emergent, man. It's, it's, it's happening. Yeah. Uh, and then like the like the composite kind of definition which like ends ways and means is the the best illustration of that i guess um and it just like it just brings too much into it and it just like makes it confusing mm -hmm. and then you know and in practice like you know when people like oh yeah strategies end ways and means they end up just talking about often i think like ends 
like the goals and the resources and they just forget everything else. Like, Oh, we're just going to apply some resources to it. It's going to be all good. Right. So, so I think it just, it just hides like the hard part of strategy, which is the theory of success part of actually the, the method, like how are you going to do it? Like that's what you have to really focus on. Yeah. And when you have like, composite definitions, it just brings in too many things. It's confusing and people can kind of pick and choose. Oh, I like to talk about resources. So I'm just going to do that and forget everything else. So that's also, I think, counterproductive. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So you, you talk a bit about, or can you talk, I guess, about how you came up with the strategy as a theory of success conceptualization, like the, what's your thinking there, but like, what's the origin story? Like, how did you come about that, that kind of phrasing? This is a very simple thing to say that strategy is a theory of success, but not only do some people like resist it or contest it, but it's also like conceptually powerful. Like there's a reason why mm -hmm. you do it. There's a reason why I gravitated to it too. Um, so yeah. just like, where does this come from? Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, gosh, I mean, there's a really long version of that story, but I'm going to, I'm going to do the short one, which is, you know, so I came out with my PhD from Johns Hopkins and my first job was at National Defense University in DC, mm. like a joint college for US military. And so I kind of jump in there and I hadn't really thought that much about strategy. Like I addressed it in my book a little bit, which was for my dissertation. So I, I mean, I thought about a little, but not much. And I, I jumped in. And so then I'm seeing all these, I'm seeing like dozens and dozens of these PowerPoint presentations with, you know, people saying they're doing strategy. And what it is is just like these arrows on a slide, which is like the lines of effort pointing towards the goal. So it's like you're firing these arrows across the PowerPoint slide at, at your, your goals and like, okay, that's a strategy. And at first I was like, oh yeah, that's cool because I don't really know. And so, all right, I'm just sort of like figuring this out. But then at some moment I'm just like, what is going on here? Cause it seems like a bunch of bullshit. Yeah. Um, you know, and we're teaching these guys, like a lot of them are, are foreign officers too. And we're teaching them this thing as if they're learning strategy and so I got kind of annoyed with the fact that it seemed like we weren't teaching them that much that was important. And so then I started to go on like an obsessive search about, well, well, what is strategy? Like, is it, is it a noun? Is it a verb? Like, what do we, what is it? And I think people who I talked to at that time were like, this guy is weird. Like, why is he like dorking out about so much, you know? But I was like, the getting like obsessed, like, what is it? Like I would ask people and they would try and tell me and it wouldn't make sense, you know? And What's then, the so language kind of, that rationalizes literally like war and peace? I mean, like it's it's yeah. the language without which you can't have this massive machine that we have. Like it's there's stakes. Right, right. Definitely. I mean, there are there are serious stakes. And like these guys were like some of them were like from like Colombia and um, Afghan like back then, Afghanistan, like all these places that were like tip of the spear guys going out there and like like you know, the stakes are fucking huge right life and death if they do this badly like it's it's really a bad news for them right so so you know, i would took it really seriously right so um not not to say that other people didn't take it seriously but i just i got, got obsessed over you know um and then so i was like reading a bunch of stuff and like the ends ways mean stuff that's what that's what we were teaching everyone i was like that's doesn't it doesn't make sense right <laughs> yeah it's just, it doesn't make sense like um and so then I circled around to uh, actually Barry Posen's kind of old book about military doctrine. 
and his definition is um, grand strategy is a theory for how to cause how to cause security for a country, right? Mm-hmm. Something like that. And so it's kind of clunky, but I kind of liked the clunkiness a bit. And I liked that he talked about causing something. And I was like, okay, yeah, that's what we want to do. We want to cause something to happen, right? And then the, the, using the word theory like really appealed to me because, well, what is a strategy? Well, it's a theory. That, yeah. That's the kind of thing, a kind of phenomenon it is, you know. And then from there, I kind of also saw the definition of uh, theory of victory, which has been around for a while. Mm. Um, then I was like, okay, theory. Yeah, it's a theory, right? And then, and then so, I mean, I also had this idea in my head that we can't just be like tunnel vision on, say, military strategy or – because strategy, if it's, if it's a good definition, it applies to businesses, to nonprofits, to politicians. It applies across the board, right? Yeah. They all do strategy, yeah. right? So, so then what's a, what's a broad-based definition that works across, like, domains? So a theory of victory doesn't necessarily always work out because that's not maybe the terminology you need. Or also, even in the military realm, people get they don't like the idea of victory because it, it, it suggests, suggests some kind of finality of like you, you fundamentally defeat someone, you're victorious and that's the end of the story. So, so searching for this, like another word and then I don't know, just success came up. It seems like a good, a good, a good phrasing for it. And so then that's, that's that it just made sense to me. Finally it all clicked. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, I think, I think, you know, we can work with this and then it just, it makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a, a book that we'll maybe talk about throughout this. Richard Rumelt, Good Strategy, Bad Strategy. Mm-hmm. I feel like, I mean, so it's one of the most important books I've ever read. Um, yeah. The second half of it, I feel like he kind of shit the bed a little. Like it's, it, he like <laughs> loses the plot a little, but the first half is like yeah. so golden. Um, right. But like he defines very early in the book, he's like the core of strategy work is discovering the critical factors in a situation and designing a way of coordinating and focusing actions to deal with those factors, right? That's a quote. Every strategist I know would agree with that statement, right? But that statement is precisely a description of what theory does, right? Theory strips down a complex world into the essential factors, and then it tells you how those factors are supposed to relate to each other. So, like the net, there's a naturalness, there's a, like a logical fit to to thinking of theory as strategy or strategy as theory, I should say. Um, right. So, like since strategy is a theory of success. Um, and a good theory in social science has high internal and external validity. I'm leading the witness here. Uh, right. Then a good strategy should also have high internal and external validity. Um, and this was mm-hmm. something that you wrote a couple years ago that yeah. was like a light bulb went on for me when I read that. I, I've, I've spent years over a decade reading strategy stuff that did not feel very enlightening or helpful that didn't unlock an insight. And this unlocked an insight for me. Um, so can you, can you, can you talk about that a little bit? And like, what do you mean when you're saying like, like validity sounds very sciencey. So (laughs) like unpack that a little. Yeah. 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 No, it's, it's funny. It's like, um, 
I mean, just like, just like one interesting kind of tidbit is like, I, I agree on the Rumel book. It's probably the best book on strategy that exists yeah. right now. And really influential for me too. And yeah, I agree. Like the first hundred pages is, is really good. Then there's like, oh, like loses the plot there for a bit. But then at the end, there's also, he gets into this idea of, of, of like strategic thinking is scientific thinking. And so he kind of, kind of comes around to that but it's sort of like at the very end yeah, yeah. and like you cut out the middle and just have that chapter added onto the first hundred pages it's like a perfect book but yeah yeah so so i mean, so, I mean there's you know as i've sort of been thinking in this way i found people who who more or less think in the same way it's just sort of reinforced the idea that like this is really a good way of thinking about you know so um uh, and so i mean when you when you think about when you when you use the idea of theory, why I like it so much is that it, as you suggested, it gives you so many more tools to, to work with. Um, like even some of the sort of like the so-called great minds of strategy, they'll say strategy is something like it's an endeavor or it's an effort or like it's such vague, like Thanks, bullshit term. Yeah. I know. It's like, what, what are you talking? Like it's so unhelpful. I agree. Like you, you can read like thick tomes of stuff from these people that are, the, some of the classic works and they don't they don't tell you much at all right and yeah. it's frustrating um but then like you bring in the word theory and yeah you get these tools because um without yeah without being too like academic or sciencey about it, it's like there's there's like a philosophy of science and people have thought about this a lot right so yeah. um so i just tried to think about and, and the key thing here also is which i think we'll probably get into more later is that what you really need with a definition of strategy is the ability to have a way to think about whether it's good before you implement it, mm-hmm. right? Because after the fact, of course, you can kind of, you have a lot more leverage or to think about it, analyze it, but you really want to know before you do it, if you can, like, is this going to work? Is it good or not? Yeah. So, um, and the only way you can really do that is, is this idea of validity. Is it, is it logical? Does it, does it make sense? Does it hold together? Mm-hmm. Um, and also then is it supported by what we know about about the world you know you can kind of test it a bit you know ahead of time so hey we're gonna we want to do coercion so under what conditions historically does coercion work or not right mm-hmm. so you, you can you can get a sense of whether or not you're on the right track and so i think that's to me that's the importance of of the, the definition using the term theory and then the, the idea of kind of looking for validity uh, gives you some some ability to see ahead of time if you have a good strategy which i think is like super important yeah. So, okay. So internal validity, we're talking about sense making, like logical, yeah. internal coherence, external right. validity. We're talking about the likelihood of success interacting with the real world. Right. And since right. you're, you're yeah. designing strategy for an outcome, it's like you're trying to have the best confidence uh, that it will work out. So, external validity ends up you use theory and evidence basically to as your proxy to judge likelihood of success um so that's that's the space we're in here um and you know if you don't i i tell this to other people i've never said this to you but like if you don't know good strategy when you see it then you probably can't make good strategy Like the ability to evaluate strategy uh, in some kind of systematic way is almost a precondition to be able to make good strategy. 
I mean, would you agree with that or? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, like the, <laughs> like some of the dumbest conversations you might hear would be, you know, among colonels or retired colonels who are just like, well, that's not a strategy. Yeah. That's stra-. like the stupid conversations where people just talk around each other. Cause they don't like need, nobody can really define what strategy is. So just arguing about, about like nothing. It's, it's like a bizarre kind of thing to, to watch and I've seen it a few times um, and so if you don't if you don't have a sense of how to define it and you know identify you know whether it's good or not yeah it's like you're going to have a really hard time even having like productive conversations about it yeah. you know it's like I mean I can like one thing I think about pretty often is like um, you know George W. Bush in Iraq or something like that where you had you know half a dozen top people in the administration really wanting to invade Iraq, but all having different, different reasons, different, like if you, if you kind of scratch me to the surface, probably different theories of success about it, Mm -hmm. um, probably different ideas about it, which they never kind of figure out or come to some kind of um, agreement about. And it's just a mess. Right. And so, yeah, I think that that's definitely true. Uh, And I mean, yeah, like I said, you have a productive conversation. You have to know, you have to agree what it is and how you're going to judge it. Yeah. Yeah. And we're going to, we're going to get into that criteria a bit in a second. Do you, do you think that good strategy is basically rare? Uh, and, and if so, why do you think that is? If not, why not? Yeah. So I'm trying to, as you know, I'm trying to do some writing on strategy right now and like trying to come up with good examples is not easy. I, um, I have yeah. a hard time. <laughs> I have a it's slide like a that shows examples that have good that are good, but a it's debatable whether they were good, and b there's not that yeah. many. Right, it's like there's three or something, right? Yeah. So it's, um, I think probably one that people come back to a lot is containment. But again, like you said, it's all these are kind of you know debatable. Yeah. Um, I was just thinking about um, like uh, John President, you know, President John Kennedy in the Cuban Missile Crisis and the, the quarantine strategy, um, was it good or not? And some people think that, that Kennedy was was terrible and it, like was going to like he his his moves actually escalated and and uh, led us closer to war and so on. Other people who like wouldn't think that, but like was that a good strategy? It's like it's it's hard to know, you know. So so I yeah I agree it's it is rare. Um, I think some things we probably think of as good strategy end up being just luck. Mm-hmm. And maybe the Kennedy thing is kind of one of those examples of like, yikes, shit, good thing that the cruise ship didn't do, take another position or whatever or it could have been, you know, a lot worse. Right. So, so yeah, I totally agree. It, it is rare and it's hard to do. I think that's the point. It's like, I know you probably had this experience too, where like, I'll be at a, like an invited lecture or even a podcast or something. They'll be like, Oh, so give us, um, um, give us an example of of good strategy, and you know it's just it's hard to do. It's hard to do on the spot, <laughs> or even worse. No, this is even worse. Is like I was on a talk once, and people were like, "Oh, well, give me your strategy for Africa." <laughs> no problem. <laughs> Great. You want me to get a strategy for a continent? Okay. Yeah. Uh, and it's like I've, it's it's just hard to do. Like, and, and it takes a lot of effort a lot of knowledge uh it's 
and, and you have to respect strategy enough to not be like flipping about, oh yeah, of course I know a strategy for everything. Like, no way, come on. Yeah. It's super difficult. Super difficult. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I kind of, I, I, none of my thinking is ever final about anything really, but I, I, I tend <laughs> to, I tend to think that like the best you can really do is not to like objectively identify a good strategy, but simply have a systematic way of generating reasons why you would call something a good strategy. Recognizing that like you're never going to be able to get to a place where it's like everyone agrees that containment was a great strategy or whatever. Like that's just not. And so, um, and it's really not hard to identify bad strategies because they're all over the place. It's just a question again of like, what's the reasoning that you would put forward to make that case? Yeah. 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 And I think also you can kind of think about, well, <clears throat> there are circumstances where if maybe like one piece of the strategy is, is good. Maybe like, maybe like there's one situation where there was a good process and now, and they, they did a good job maybe evaluating strategies, but then the final choice was, was bad or the implementation was bad or something, or they, they misunderstood the challenge or something like that. So, so I think where I'm kind of at now is like looking at examples of, hey, you know, this is actually a pretty good process. This is actually a pretty good implementation and kind of like sort of like a piecemeal understanding of uh, or illustrations of, of parts of it that were good, you know? Yeah. I mean, so speaking of piecemeal, I wanted to talk a bit about what we see as the criteria for internal and external validity. So we've got strategy as a theory of success as a theory of success. It is comprised of uh, internal and external validity when you're judging it, right? So like if it has high internal and high external validity, then it is a good strategy. So then, uh, and so the way I, I teach this, I have this thing called the good strategy framework and it's built out of those pieces. It, it follows that logic tree, right? And then I get to the point, the framework is the criteria that constitute uh, internal and external validity. So yeah. what, what counts for you? Like what counts as internal and external validity when you're judging a strategy? What are those criteria? And then like, depending on what you say, I may like add some, I'll, I'll share, <laughs> share my bit or whatever. Yeah. Well, I don't, I mean, I don't, I don't take that particular perspective when I'm, when I'm teaching it or like thinking about it exactly. But I think what, I mean, it's also it's kind of hard sometimes to like the the dividing line between internal and external validity is sometimes kind of fuzzy. So, um, so, so to me, like internal validity means like the causal connections are all there and they make sense. Mm-hmm. So, like if just to go back to like maybe the, the Iraq thing again is like okay, so you know uh, by by invading Iraq, we're going to transform the the security context that that we're in. Right, something like that. Um, and like, okay, so how? Like, how? That doesn't make how? sense. Yeah. Like, the linkage is kind of there. So then the logic is like, okay, well, you know, we invade Iraq. That shows that we can use military force to overturn a regime we don't like. It also causes democratization to happen. I mean, it's, it's getting far fetched as I go along, right? But yeah, yeah. but at least like, but then like you can make those causal connections, and as long as you you have okay. Yes, invasion, you can overthrow Saddam Hussein. Yes, if you don't have a dictator anymore, you could have democracy, okay? If you have democracy, you show that you can do democracy by 
by force, then maybe that could then cause, you know, Syria or somewhere else to be worried about that. So then you can kind of make like, it sort of starts to have some logical sense, even if you disagree. But then that gets into the situation of like, okay, so it might be, there might be the causal connections that are all there, but then in real life, like, hell no, that's not how it works. So then I guess then it's, and that switches over to the external validity piece of like, okay, so you look back at historical cases and force regime change, how often does that lead to like authentic democracy or not and that kind of thing. So then, yeah. you, then you shift to the external part. So that's, I guess, more or less how I would look at that. But um, curious what you say. Yeah, yeah. So this is funny. We, as many conversations as we've had about this, we haven't talked about this part yet. Um, yeah. So the way that I, I frame this up adds detail to what you said like literally it's it i take literally what you said and then i simply specify more um so like the criteria for internal validity i have uh clear goals so you got to check that off right uh proportionality between ends and means because again we're that that's part of having logic right a causal wager which is to say an argument for how means purport to achieve ends so it's the argument that ties means and ends together the how like you said mm-hmm. right. and then uh prescribed actions that are coordinated um and so that's making sure that like even though you're describing something that's supposed to be like logical or conceptually makes sense it also mm-hmm. has some attachment to the real world um because you're talking about specific actions so it has to be like specifically prescriptive in some way and those things that you're prescribing need to not logically undermine each other they need to be coordinated right so the way i i set this up it's like okay boom 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 clear goals proportionality between means and ends or balance whatever uh a causal wager and then coordinated actions and then those are the criteria the checklist for internal validity And then external validity, it's uh, a response to a realistic assessment of the situation, so or a diagnosis of the situation, Mm -hmm. Um, proportionality between risks and ends, because we're talking about external validity as being like the likelihood of success, so risk belongs there, Uh, and then the the theory or evidence that supports the causal wager right like are you mm-hmm. is is there right. you know power transition theory or something on which or democratic yeah. peace theory whatever it's like is there a basis in logic or evidence to support the claim of coherence you know uh yeah. and then finally final criterion an awareness of risks that could threaten success um and so and that's basically it for the internal validity those criteria are very like check the boxy like is it there or not and then for external validity they're like a little fuzzier um but that's basically it and so like you can walk through fairly systematically and I, i call this a framework but it's just a way of like systematically uh, filtering or red teaming, however you want to think of it, whatever the thing that you're analyzing is, whatever the strategy claims to be. 
Um, and then so when you can, if you can go through that, you can then say why you say it's good or bad or the extent to which it's good or bad. Here's why. Because it lacks clear goals. Because it doesn't have a realistic diagnosis, et cetera, et cetera. Because risks are out of proportion to goals, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, yeah. The, here's the thing that messes with my head the most in, in kind of like trying to, you know, write about this in like the clearest most like common sense kind of way is that mm -hmm. like you get into even like, even what you said, it's like it's straightforward and everything, but it's like the minute you start giving people like lists of stuff to think about, I feel like it, it does something to their brain. that's not good. You know what I mean? Oh, like it's the, the rote or like, yeah, yeah, the, yeah. Like it, it close forecloses on like um, creativity or something something like that like it's or it they start like it like switches to a different part of your brain i think a little bit and so i mean i kind of in a way i kind of try to avoid that that kind of approach i mean i think there's definitely a place for it but i just i kind of worry that you know going too far beyond like hey you hey you have to have a theory of success like get that through your head right if you give anybody like an escape like in a, like a, a off ramp from that, they're like, Oh great. Good. I can think about, about risk assessment. Okay. I know that. So that, that's a key thing. I'm just going to really be focusing on that. And so I just, I just worry that it, when it's, when there's too much that it, people will just go with the thing they understand and kind of like ignore, ignore the other, other stuff, you know? So, so it's like, I go back and forth though about how much, cause, cause like you do need criteria. Right. And if you just tell people like, Oh, does it make sense? Like, shit that's subjective right they're not going to really be able to evaluate it that yeah. way right so yeah so you have to have like this balance of like clear criteria and but just like also simplicity in the sense of like hey here like get this in your head you have to do this you have to have a theory of success um there's actually a, a scholar he's like from shit i forget <laughs> i've totally blanked on on his name or where he's from but a scandinavian country um and uh, he sent me his, his article uh, in draft format to look at it. And he has this idea of, he was following on the idea of fear of success. And he was saying that, well, it should be stated as a if then because statement. So if you do blank, then or if you do A, B will happen because, right? So it gets to the causal relationship mm -hmm. and you have to explain the causal mechanism, you know? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I, I kind of like that. Um, but, you know, it's, it's just like this sense of me, like trying to, to, to balance between like these, these, like you said, like checking those, these kind of boxes, but also just being in that space of, you know, you need to actually be kind of imaginative yeah. and creative to, to develop like a good theory. Cause there's, there's the, the part where you're like sort of evaluating and testing, which is sort of more, more like a road thing, but like the, the inspiration part is, is, is there too. So like, how do you balance that is, is pretty tough. Yeah. I mean, so there's two things going on here. One, I think we have to separate we have to separate evaluating strategy, which is an analytical function versus generating strategy, which is going to require sound analysis. But that needs to be generative. That needs to, like, have that imaginative space preserved. It's so, like if you yeah. suck at analysis, 
it, you may have a hard time coming up with the creative, right? To be gen, make, right. generating good strategy, but evaluating strategy is analytical. Like right. judging whether a strategy is good doesn't require a ton of creativity in itself. Um, but yeah, like the box checking thing. So I have a framework because, you know, you're teaching this, to, especially like when I teach military officers and stuff, dude, if you don't, if you don't have something approximating a checklist, they're not going to know what to do. I mean, this is just a fact, like I'm not hating on them, but fuck. And so, like, <laughs> but like what you're saying though, is like why I'm, I'm comfortable with having external validity, especially be a little bit fuzzy, right? There are like these specific criteria, but like there's overlap in them. And so it's like when you're looking to judge external validity, there's things that you're looking for, but it's not as straightforward as literally checking the box or like there's pitfalls if you do that, right? Like you go down the rabbit hole of risk assessments, but that's not yeah. to say like, you can ignore risks. Like literally a strategy will live and die off of its risks sometimes, you know? I mean, yeah. that's one of the major ways that you can judge a strategy as being bad is like taking on risks out of proportion to reality, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's so like, this isn't a, f the, the, the difficulty of balancing the, I forgot how you phrase it, not concrete versus abstract, but what did, what did you say? Like, <laughs> good question. Balance, like balance, the the language that we're using here, I feel like is important. Um, yeah. Like balancing the the rote checklisting versus the creativity or something like that. Like yeah, finding yeah. some middle ground in there, and like the, I think what ultimately cannot be lost is that like you're trying to evaluate whether there is a theory of success here that is that makes sense and is plausible. And yeah. so the, the debate space is about how you judge those things, but like that should be the task, right? Is that right? Is that track? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it, I, I basically agree. I think that, that like one of the difficult things is that even if you're like looking at historical examples where sort of, you know, what people did, you kind of know why they did it, you know what the outcome was. Um, but trying to figure out what their theory of success was is, is often pretty hard. Yeah. Um, because like people, I mean, I have this thing, I like tweeted out once is like the idea that there's this iron law of strategy that people will avoid clearly stating their strategy if at all they can like the the like coming down clearly yeah <laughs> like clearly stating what what you think uh, like what actions should we should take and mm -hmm. what it's going to cause people are i think maybe inherently like afraid of doing that and it's always couched in all these different kinds of language of usually you're talking about lists of actions you're talking about aspirational like things you want mm -hmm. um richard rumel is really good at this and talking about bad strategy and and all like the the buzzwords and the fluff and the the vision statements and all that stuff that makes it pretty hard to kind of figure it out even after the fact what it is yeah so i think you know to me that the analytical challenge is is figuring out what 
other people were doing and why like the real the real causal relationships they had in their head like we're holding in their head when they were making these decisions um it's, it's pretty difficult to do so so just even that piece of it is a major analytical challenge mm-hmm. um and so it, it's it's on that end it's 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 analytically very challenging uh and it's it's like i said it's, it's also usually implicit like they don't they don't say it out loud it's there somewhere yeah i think it's all there but they just don't they don't say it out loud and so it, it's it's difficult to find and then in the creative stage, like coming up with a good one is, is of course, super, super difficult. Yeah. When I first designed the course, the course is called Designing Strategy, but I don't ask them to actually make strategy in the course. They don't actually design a strategy. But the reason is because of what you're saying and because of what we mentioned at the beginning of the show, like good strategy is rare. It requires a special like penetrating insight in order yeah. to make it like it's not enough to just be a good analyst like a good and there's no assurance that a good analyst is going to be a good strategist even you know um right. yeah but this um g- like getting back to like what theory of success unlocks right having internal and external validity um constituting a good theory and a good strategy this way of thinking organizes a lot of the heuristic wisdom, like rule of thumb shit of the old fucks like Klaus Witz, but also like mm-hmm. the people uh, that people will be offended by that. Maybe people who spend <laughs> probably <laughs> people who spend all their time doing like military strategy, like the, the Frank Hoffman's, the Colin Gray's, like the classical military mm-hmm. thinkers, they all generated lots of best practices that they claim right for strategy yeah. you want to make sure uh-huh. your strategy is balanced proportionality you want you want to coordinate your action for concentrative concentrated effect and so like i've read like pretty widely it sounds like you did too about like how strategy works in different domains and the thing that i observed yeah. in these best practices like they're all subsumable within the theory of success understanding of strategy like these best practices, if they're useful at all, they can usually be binned as helping you evaluate internal validity or external validity. Like, and so like that to me says that, okay, this is not just a definition of a word. This is a concept that helps you make sense of things. It's a concept that you can use to help evaluate and judge things. So you actually get like leverage out of the definition. And Mm -hmm. so like, we're, I don't know how we're like 40 minutes into the show. We're still talking about the definition (laughs) of strategy, but that's, that's how powerful it is. Like that's important, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. And I'll just give a quick shout out to Frank Hoffman, which he's like one of my mentors at NDU and like really helped me develop these ideas. And one of the few guys around there that would actually just kind of like sit and chill and like talk about strategy with me and really gave me like when I, when Frank Hoffman was like, Oh yeah, that sounds good. I'm like, okay, I could, I can print that because that's, that's good shit right there. Hmm. Um, And so, um, yeah. So I think that that's true. I I think there's a weird thing though, is that, some people like violently oppose this definition. 
don't know if you've come across I've, this. I've but... seen, do you have any, can you come up with why? Like I've seen that too, <laughs> but like off the top of my head, I can't remember why. And it seems um, stupid. Well, like <laughs> it seems misguided to oppose this definition. Yeah. So it's like, so the one part, so like the first strategy article I wrote was like a, a really focused attack on ends, ways, and means. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so people are really invested in, in ends plus ways plus means equals strategy uh, for whatever reason, like they're, they're invested in it. So attack on that. Even like in my my home institution, you know, I, I was gone from NDU by the time that was published, but sort about people there that I worked with, like being really pissed about it. Um, like I was undermining their whole enterprise by questioning that that framing of strategy, you know. And then people like also by that, the way, I don't know if you know this, like every military staff college that I've been to teaches that piece. Just so you know, like I don't, I, don't, I don't know how you yeah. can get credit from it, but that that it's true <laughs> everywhere I go um so yeah so i mean i think there's there's people invested in it and um and I, yeah so i don't know i feel like there's some kind of vested interest things that people get really upset about and then i mean the i mean i think people are afraid of clarity yeah. to be honest so if you know if, if i'm trying to tell people like hey you know you have to have a theory of success like that's, and, and maybe even the word theory kind of scares them a little bit. I don't know. There, there's something going on that, that some people react really negatively to, you know. Mm -hmm. um, but I mean, here's one thing I came across recently. It was actually I was reading uh, Wigley's um, American Way of War book for like the third time. And and he quotes the not the usual like Parrot and um, Howard version of Clausewitz, but a, a different I think it was. Jolet or some some or Graham, no Graham's translation of translation of Clausewitz. In Clausewitz, in that translation, they use the word theory. When Klaus, when they have Clausewitz's definition of strategy, is a theory of how to use battles to win the war, something like that, right? Yeah. So, so I think it totally makes sense with with the canon. I think it totally does. Yeah, yeah. No, I. It's it's not a repudiation of all the best insights it's in in fact like in my view it's the only way to embrace all the insights in a way that like makes sense like even rummelt you know the good strategy bad strategy book his core thing was that good strategy has a kernel the three-part like it has a diagnosis right. it has a guiding policy it has coherent action right good strategy has the that three-part kernel well, yeah. all of those pieces fit into a like theory of success kind of concept, right? Diagnosis, yeah. like I just talked about, external validity, a guiding policy. Well, that's the causal wager. It's part of an internal validity judgment, right? Coherent action, coordination, internal validity. Like it's not saying, oh, Rummelt, you're all fucked up. It's saying, oh, Rummelt, you're on the right track. You have your thumb on it. Yeah, we're taking that and using it, like giving you we're we're, we're improving on the design, you know, um, yeah. that's how I see it anyway. Yeah, I mean, I guess here's another like problem I have or issue I have that is still kind of open ended for me is that so I, I feel like there's a process like a strategy process and then there's strategy as a thing. Right. Yeah. And so. To me, there's the process of, so I guess Rumsfeld like lays out to me pretty much the process, 
in the, in the kernel, like what he calls the kernel. Yeah. Now, and for so for for looking at what he's talking about, like to me, the guiding policy is the strategy. Like the diagnosis is the diagnosis. The 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 coherent actions at the end is the implementation of it. But the guiding policy, what he calls the guiding policy, is the strategy. It's the how. And in his book, he explicitly says, "Yeah, the how." He explicitly says, "You know, I I do not treat guiding policy as strategy because I think if you don't have the right diagnosis, then." you're going to be all messed up. Right. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, but don't confuse it. You know, don't, don't get it all twisted. You know, it's, it's that you have a diagnosis that's supportive of creating a good strategy. You know, the diagnosis is not the strategy, Yeah. right? The diagnosis is a tool to, to assess or create strategy. And I think he has an enormously, like hugely important insight there that a good strategy has to be based on the clear diagnosis of the, of the challenge. And I kind of resisted that for a while, to be honest, because I was like, well, maybe what? you don't have a challenge, you know, maybe, maybe it's like an opportunity. And so it's not really a challenge, but then as I thought about it more and more, I'm like, yeah, yeah no, that's, he is, he is right on target there because even if it's like, Oh, I have an opportunity. Um, it's still, there's still a challenge involved there. There's still something like a barrier an obstacle you have to overcome to then, you know, to make that opportunity, you know, happen for you. So, so I think that's super important, but I don't like the fact that he treats like that kernel concept as, as the strategy, you know, and he, he has a, com so he has a composite definition of strategy that I don't really like. Yeah. Um, he says that strategy is a, a, a set of actions and goals and, and, and analysis. It's, it's a set of uh, multiple things. He doesn't have a clear definition of strategy, which I think, you know, that's my that's my problem problem with him on that. So, so I like to keep that kind of separate. Is like, hey, there's a process involved in creating strategy or evaluating strategy, but you have to keep that focus on the idea that the strategy is a theory of success. And you can't adulterate it or dilute it or hide it. You know, you have to stay focused on that. Otherwise, people are going to ignore that if they can, because it's hard. That's the hard part. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, that's so like, I have to, it, when you do this stuff with, with students, especially you have to show them what Romelt is saying and it's smart and he's smart and there's a lot of insights there. And like these little individual pieces that he puts on the table as being important for good and bad strategy, the pieces are correct, but then the way he like stitches them together as like, like the kernel is conflating different elements, like you're saying. Like you do right. need a diagnosis. You do need pro like, how are you going to coordinate action without a good process? You know what I mean? Like you right. need all these elements are vitally true, but the way he's structuring it, he's like, you have these three things and that's the kernel and that's a good strategy. But it's like, you can't, yeah. that doesn't tell you like the why or the how that makes good strategy, you know, like, so it's, th yeah. that's, that's what I mean. Like he's got his finger on the pulse, but he's not quite comprehensive enough he's he's fuzzy about certain things um yeah but so like it's it is the best thing out there to date but like you still see shortfalls in it and like we're both able to yeah. sit here and still critique and try and make improvements on it um so like right. it shouldn't be the last word even though it seems like it is so far yeah it's a super important book and, and yeah, I learned a ton from it, but there are also parts of it that, that annoy the hell out of me. So yeah, same. It is. Um, yeah. It's weird to tell somebody, Oh, this is 
one of the best books I've ever read. In a lot of ways, it's kind of shit. I mean, like, that's a weird thing. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's true. Here's all the problems with it. Yeah, yeah. Here's why. I, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, t- not switching gears, but uh, kind of like moving on from Romelt slightly. Grand yeah. strategy. There may be daylight here between us, but in like a productive way. And, and there may uh-huh. not be daylight between us. So like, uh-huh. uh, I'm just gearing off of what I've seen from fucking Twitter. Um, yeah, yeah. Is your argument that grand strategy is a theory of national success? Or is that how you view it? Yes. Yeah. Why? <laughs> Why? Um, I, to me, it's just... Because the nation is the highest level and grand is the highest level of strategy. Yeah, I mean, I kind of... So I kind of don't like uh, the term grand strategy. In fact, I, I really don't like it. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I can kind of put up with it because that's what people talk about, but... I like the term national strategy better. Um, I think that is is mainly what it's about, right? So you have, as a, as a country, you have a strategy for something, right? So, um, so I like that terminology better. And so to me, it's just a matter of um, whatever the level of thinking we're at or whatever, like it's still the same thing as you. You're still trying to achieve goals. You still have challenges to overcome, you know? So you have a theory of success about how to do it and that's, that's what it is. So yeah, that's how I see it. Okay. So uh, I feel like a light bulb went on and understanding <laughs> where you're coming from on this. Um, so if it, so I don't necessarily disagree with what you just said. Like it's yeah. for me, it's not that it's not that it's not a theory of success, but it's that mm-hmm. grand strategy works at a narrative level. Uh, like it defines your vision and purpose. It, it it's, mm-hmm. it's what you call your national role conception, like how you relate to the uh-huh. world. And so like, I don't know if you can collapse those things into being a theory of success because like yeah. vision and national purpose don't need to be realistic. Like those things should be utopian on, on some level, depending on your view mm-hmm. of like the enlightenment or whatever. Um, right. And so like, as I'm saying this out loud and as I'm hearing you, I'm kind of wondering if there's like grand strategy as, as national purpose or grand strategy as narrative or world making, but then there's a layer below that. That's a concrete effort to realize your world making project. And so like maybe the layer below that is the theory of national success. And like that would almost reconcile the way I view grand strategy versus the way you define grand strategy, which is more concrete almost. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think like what I'm saying, like that exists and what you're saying that exists. And to the extent that they're different things, I think that's, that's possible. Uh, to the extent that they're kind of like interconnected, I think it's, that's true too. Um, I guess the question is, can one be reduced to the other? And that would be, I guess, the real question to me is that sort of is, is national strategy just sort of like the expression of those things, but in a more concrete way? Or are they kind of like two parallel things happening at once? Uh, I mean, if you think about like, if you're, I guess if we look at concrete, like what is, what is a grand strategy in history if we, you know, containment, is that a strategy? Is that a grand strategy? 
Um, How we classify these things that happened, yeah. Yeah, so like, so if containment is a grand strategy, then I think it's totally infused by America's role in the world and its identity um, in terms of, of feeling like it has to have a role in shaping, you know, the international system and having that sense that, and it should be shaped like in the image of the United States. Like those are like the identity pieces that come into it. Mm. Um, and the idea that it's just not okay for the Soviet union to like absorb Europe. Like that's just not yeah, something you're going to accept. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I think that stuff's kind of an open question. Um, about yeah if those are separate or if they could be some sort of like sort of combined or not I'm not this is one thing that i get into that i haven't found a perfect way to like answer this when when students ask but there when you talk about like global zero or a world without nuclear weapons right or um world peace or world democracy if you think about any like big visionary thing you know, the end of slavery at one point was a big visionary thing, like abolitionism. Yeah. Yeah. You, you think about these big things that reflect like who we are, or how we think the world ought to be or something like that. Those things, like one of the things that I've noticed is that uh, especially students will look at the goals that are stated as a vision and then be like, well, those are completely unrealistic or like it's completely unrealistic to fix climate change. And so like wow. they think that the goals are so big and grand and even fuzzy maybe because they're visionary that yeah. the strategy is inevitably bad. And like, huh. I don't have a good answer to this, but the, the way I'm like trying to make sense of this and reconcile that, that view is that like the vision is not the, you know, you can't treat the vision as the concrete objectives in a strategy. Like the visions are, giving it yeah. context or meaning or like you have to sit, maybe that's like the ultimate ends, but then you have to judge the strategy on the basis of like something more tangible or measurable. Um, and like, how are you relating real world actions to your sort of visionary purpose? Um, I don't know. I don't have like a great answer to this, but there's something yeah. there about like the visionary and the concrete kind of like interacting. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, I mean, to me, like the more I think about it, the more, the more work that the diagnosis does. Mm -hmm. um, so if you look at it, so like someone's, oh, we can never solve climate change. Well, okay. Well, well, why not? Like, what's the problem? Like, what's yeah. the challenge? Like, what's the real challenge? And the real challenge is not like a scientific one, right? It's a political problem, right? So then what, like, then you, then you start to get into like, what's the real challenge. And so then, I don't know, maybe that gets to a more, productive place but yeah i mean i just i feel like the diagnosis does so much work there yeah. in terms of, of thinking concretely about like what's the real challenge and then overcoming that diagnosis uh, unlocks your solution in a lot of cases like how do you get yeah. to the to the answer of what's right to do unless you have like mm -hmm. a good diagnosis of the situation like root cause kind of thing um yeah yeah so i'm my my computer is gonna die in like 10 minutes it's a long story. It's not plugged in long story. Um, so I've, but I do have a couple more things I want to hit. Um, yeah. One, I, I want to just get you on the record. I, 
I'm on the I'm of a mind that every government has a grand strategy, whether they realize it or not, or like a a national strategy, if you would rather think of it like that. Do you agree <laughs> with that, or are you of a different yeah. view? Yeah, I know. I think that like anytime you have like goal seeking actors or behavior, like yes, you have a strategy, mm-hmm. right? If you have if you have goals, you have a strategy. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you're if you're trying to achieve goals, you definitely have a strategy. Usually, like I said, it's implicit, it's tacit, it's it's hidden somewhere, but it, it's there. Mm-hmm. Um, and that I think that's to me that's a big problem. And one of the problems I have with like the immersion approach is that if you don't state what it is, you can't evaluate it. Yeah. Uh, it's it's there, it's just not stated. Emergent strategy is, is in my mind, it's a contradiction in terms almost. Like it's it's just nonsensical. Um, <laughs> so you mentioned on Twitter that you thought that if grand strategy is a theory of national success, uh, then one of the problems of grand strategy is that it can be like initially good, but then over a span of time, like a decade or two decades or whatever, it becomes bad as conditions change. And this strikes me as an insight that relates back to this like theory of success kind of uh, framework or concept like yeah. a strategy that has a mismatch with real world conditions is going to have low external validity because it's based on what has become a bad diagnosis. Right. Again, like the right. diagnosis is so right. crucial. Is Do you have like yeah. a real world example that would show that or illustrate that? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I mean, I think it, when I was, when I fired off that tweet, I was thinking uh, at that point I was kind of uh, working on a paper in the, addressing the issue of engagement with China. And I mean, if you, if you view like engagement with China is starting in like the seventies mm-hmm. um, and continuing till today, like, I mean, I think you, I mean, I'm not definitely not a China expert, but like arguably you could say that it was successful for like 35 years yeah. in a way. Right. My next and then it was successful until it wasn't. Yeah. What's that? <laughs> My next book has that as a sub argument. Yeah. Yeah, there. I mean, there you go. So, um, and so then, and even like when we get into like the Hu Jintao era, it's like China is is pretty open, and it seems like things are it's it's kind of liberalizing. And that, mm-hmm. I mean, again, arguably, like Xi Jinping is a reaction to that. Yeah, and it's it's clamping down the openness, which scared the shit out of a certain set of like elites in China, right? So, in a sense, that it's a successive engagement that then caused this you know this reactionary behavior among Chinese elites. So then, so in a sense, you, so, so it just strikes me as being um, just wrong to say, hey, oh, you know, uh, engagement was fucked up from the start. Like that was stupid, you know, um, which I don't think you can say necessarily. I mean, it, that might be true, but also might be true that it was actually good and worked for a long time yeah. until it didn't, yeah. you know? Yeah. The same thing with like what people are calling like Merkelism in Germany is like, you know, did that work for a for a decade and then all of a sudden it doesn't work does that mean it was always a, a bad idea yeah. or does it mean that it's good for germany for a set amount of time and then now it's bad you know and then also then kind of like predicting when <laughs> when the context changes that's like a pretty difficult thing you have to be very responsive which you know politics is not responsive you know so so it's just, it's just kind of like a thought exercise about you know what you know how can we it just seems like a problem to me that's not it doesn't have an easy solution either. 
Yeah, no, I I just wanted to get it on wax here because it <laughs> it was it seemed very true, and I hadn't really heard anybody express it quite like that. Um, which is the case with a lot of your shit. Like I hadn't, you say things that I like, I read as like, Oh, this tends to be true. And I hadn't heard anybody express it quite like that. Um, and that's, that's powerful stuff. Um, quick, just a couple more things quickly. A lot of military concepts are viewed as strategies when in fact they're tactics, right? So if you think of like quote unquote, strategic surprise, uh, deception Mm -hmm. maneuver, Right. In the social movement world, there's a problem of like protests being treated as strategy or civil disobedience is the strategy or boycott is the strategy. These things are all tactics. Right. Yeah. Do you think that uh, it makes sense or that it could work to have a strategy that is basically elevating a tactic where a tactic is the strategy? Hmm. Or are they categoric? They have to be categorically different. So, I mean, I don't think they need to be categorically different. I think that, you know what, like one problem that, that I see is that sometimes people just have have actions mm-hmm. and they're not really that clearly associated with outcomes, you know, or, and so then you're kind of just, you're kind of doing stuff and you're thinking that it's productive, but it's like you can't really explain how it's going to be productive. Any step kind of clear step one, Blitzkrieg. Step two. I don't know. Step three, we rule the world. <laughs> right, right. Yada, yada, yada. Um, we win, right? So I think there's there's that. There's also like people, that, like the flip side of that kind of is that goals, you just have goals. You don't really have ways to achieve. You're just like, yeah, our strategy is to become the best. Mm-hmm. You know, or to be the best or something. It's like, yeah, that's, that's like an aspirational goal. This is like you know, some of the rumors says too. It's like, it's not a strategy. Yeah. And you can't, hard to convince people that you don't. Or like at my institution right now, we're doing like a strategic plan. Oh God. Which is always like a messed up enterprise. But yeah. it's like they have like lists of like themes and strengths and like all this stuff. And I actually wrote like comments. is like, no, this is not, you don't have a strategy though. Yeah. Of course, <laughs> nobody, nobody pays any attention to, to me, of course. Yeah. But it's like that's how it always goes down. Is that you know those those are just like problems, of course. Um, I mean, I think that I don't know. I mean, I think to to some end, could like could like surprise or deception be elevated to a strategy? Um, I mean, I guess so. Um, if that's your bet for how you'll get your goal, yeah. right? Then yeah, it, it could um, work in theory. It seems like yeah. a, it seems like it's most of the time it would be a bad bet to do that though. Like you'd have to have a really good theory of the case. Yeah. Um, I mean, if if it's sort of like, hey, we'll we'll surprise them and they'll give up, like something like that. Yeah. It's like, well, I mean, maybe then we win, yeah, maybe not. Yeah. yeah. Um, but if it's like, oh, you know, we we surprise them in a specific way, and we know this is going to co- we we think it's going to you know cause them to act in this other way, for these reasons, you kind of explain like you have a good like set of causal mechanisms, something like that. Then I mean, I think it could work out. But yeah, it's I mean, I, but I also have this problem with the idea of like strategic level, um, that that the strategy only happens at some certain level, mm-hmm. and of course, at like war colleges, that's the thing is like you have like Oh, six is coming in and be like, okay, here I am to learn, to learn the strategic, strategic level, strategic level, okay. baby. <laughs> right? 
And then yeah. you start talking, and they're like, oh, this is a lot like the operational level. And you're like, well, that's because <laughs> levels don't matter, man. Yeah. It's a state of mind. Yeah. <laughs> it's, not, it's like levels it's, of analysis in IR. Like, if, if it helps you organize your thoughts, more power to you. But this is not yeah. – yeah, it's not a thing. Um, okay, last question. Grant, true or false? Grand strategies can fail. No, not grand strategies. Good strategies can <laughs> fail. Bad strategies can succeed. True or false? 100% true. Yeah, baby. There we go. Yeah. Um, yeah. I tend to treat outcomes as like indicators of the quality of a strategy, but not proof of the quality of a strategy. So it's like if you have a good outcome, yeah, yeah. that's a good sign, but you really got to investigate to to find out, you know, like, well, the why. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's why like, I'm coming down with sort of like on the side of saying, well, the strategy is kind of like they increase effectiveness, they increase your chances of success. Mm. They certainly don't like guarantee it. The world is too complex for anything to really be determinative, you know? Yes. It's like all of the analysis on Ukraine and it's like I've, people have already noted like 27 decisive factors so far. And I'm like, okay, well, that's a lot, you know? Yeah. Man, what a great point to end on. Dude, thanks so much. My computer's about to explode. Um, This has been juicy. A lot of people are going to be listening to this for years and years, I bet. I'm not kidding. (laughs) That was fun. All right. Thanks, man. All right. All right. Take it easy.